Welcome to the One City Church audio experience. My name is Jesse Dan Yusuf and I serve as the lead pastor. Our vision at One City is to see everyone everywhere becoming one with God. You're about to listen to one of our messages. We hope you leave inspired, motivated and blessed. It begins now, Lord. It begins now. So many key prophetic moments, like a crescendo leading up to these moments. Now do all that you have said. Send your angels in abundance. Sound the alarm in the realm of the spirit for the work that is about to be born. Lord, we thank you. This work we have seen its beginning. We will never see its end. We thank you for this and we receive it in Jesus' name. Can we all say loud amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. One more time. It's a privilege to be here. And then um, this meeting is more prophetic than some of you realize. I mean, everything is timely about it, including the date. If this meeting was one week later, there is every possibility I wouldn't have been able to attend. Because this is the last invitation I'm going to be able to honor throughout this year. You know, so that's how timely. That's how timely it is. And for many other things you're going to discover. Uh, listen, um, the Lord told me this. He said, even if you have 1,000 branches, you are still one ministry. That's what the Lord told me. He says, but out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every truth shall be established. And so he told me that so that I can begin to pray and support with all my heart, every other person that God is raising, particularly in my generation. <laughs> Inside joke. <laughs> Let me quickly, that joke is so good, I have to tell you. You know, at PFN, you know, Pastor Chintok represented the younger generation. So I had to do a quick Google search, like, how old is Pastor Chintok? I love you, sir. <laughs> All right, so. So, thank you, sir. You're young at heart. <laughs> when people begin to say you're young at heart, it means, I, I love you, sir. <laughs> anyway, let me move on. <laughs> you know, so I began to pray and consciously see that for the sake of the prevalence of the gospel in our day, there has to be multitudes of witnesses. Amen, someone. So I want you to know how invested I am in what God is about to do. And I want you to be invested. And that's why, you know, God has given me a charge. And you're probably not going to know where this is leading, at least at the beginning. But we're heading somewhere. I want to start by asking and answering four questions. And the four questions are this. Number one, what must a man do to be saved? What must a man do to be saved? There's a lot we can say on this. Soteriology is a course on its own. We can do three months on this. But we'll touch on this at least in an elementary way. What must a man do to be saved? And number two, what must a Christian know to live above sin? There's a reason we need to touch on that. And by the time we begin to touch on all these points, you will see it becomes clear, even without me pointing it out. What must a Christian know To live above sin. Number three, what must a Christian know to walk in the power of God? And number four, what must a Christian know to live a life consecrated to God? I'll take them again. Number one, what must a man do to be saved? Number two, what must a Christian know to live above sin? Number three, what must a Christian know to walk in the power of God? Number four, what must a Christian know to live a life consecrated to the Lord. So now, first and foremost, what must a man do to be saved? Uh, Without circumlocution, I'll go to the text that will come to the minds of the average believer. And that's John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, first and foremost, that text, even if every child knows it, even every Muslim knows it, almost every Muslim knows it, There is something that we miss in that text. And it's not our fault. It's a problem of transliteration. Because from your normal English 
understanding, when you read God so loved the world, you think that the word so is talking about the intensity of God's love. God's, God loves the world so much. And you're not wrong. He loves us that much and more. But that's not what the text is saying. The word translated so is the Greek word hutu. And hutu means in this manner. So if you put that in the text, you will understand what he's saying. God in this manner loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So he's letting you know that God giving his son is how he loved the world. Please, do you understand what I'm saying? That the death of Jesus is the demonstration of his love. And we can go on to prove that when you read 1 John 4, um, 6, 7, it says, if God so loved us, he loved us, if God loved us in this way, it begins to make sense to you. And some newer translations even get it right. I think a particular NLT translation, because there are two, I don't know why, you know, says, God loved us in this way. But to answer the question, what must a man do to be saved? It says that whosoever believes in him, specifically the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh my God, I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Emmanuel, whosoever Irin. I don't know if there's any whosoever in this place. I mean, that text was talking about me. I am the whosoever he talked about. Anyone else here? Hallelujah. Anyone else who believes in Jesus in this place? Anyone else who has tasted of this eternal life of which he speaks? Hallelujah. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then Romans chapter 10 verse 9 buttresses this point. He says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So that answers the question, what must a man do to be saved? So the presentation of the gospel is this, that God took on flesh, lived a sinless life, died our death, rose again the third day, and whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Amen, somebody. So much more to, to, to say about that, but for time's sake, let's move on. What must a Christian do to live above sin? I'm, and I mean experientially and practically. When you come to Ephesians chapter 2, you see two things. The statement of the problem and then the solution. And so in Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1, it says, And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. It says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that walks in children of disobedience. And now you're like, yes, that's exactly the problem. It seems like people who are given to sin irresistibly, they're animated to do so. It looks like there's a, there's a force in the air animating them to act in the manner that they're acting. It says, among whom we all had our conversation in time past. In the loss of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. Then now, this is the solution. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, he says, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are we saved. Hallelujah. He says, and he has raised us up together in Christ. And now, here's the point. What must a man do to be saved? He must believe that Jesus died, rose again, and everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What must a man do, a Christian do, to live above sin? He must reckon that Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and now because Jesus died, in him you died. And because Jesus rose, in him you were raised. And we are quickened together. Therefore, we cannot go on irresistibly in sin. So I'm helping you see that it is the same answer for the two different problems. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? And then number three, just to be sure you're following, what's the third question I said we'll answer? What must a Christian know to walk in the power of God? Ephesians 1 from verse 15, Paul says, wherefore I also have, after I heard of your faith and lodges and your love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks to God for you, making mention of you, my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding 
will be enlightened to know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, of, of his inheritance in the saints, you know, the exceeding greatness of his power. Pay attention. Oswald who believe, he says, now, he's letting you know that there is power at your disposal. Where does that power come from? He says, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named. You know what he said next? He says, he gave him to be head over all things to the church. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So now, Paul is saying, when the revelation dawns on you, that because Christ was raised from the dead, all things are under his feet, he has all power, and you are seated with him there. That is the revelation that helps you to walk in the power of Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh my God, did you get what I just said? So what I'm describing to you is this. Let me explain it in a Lagosian terminology. <laughs> if you ever enter the bus in Oshodi and you saw someone try to sell a drug when the car was, when the bus was moving, <laughs> did you notice that that drug could, could heal anything? You will say, if you, are trust, if, you are be, if you have been desiring a child, this drug, if you take just two tablets, you will have children. Now, if you have HIV, take this same drug. If you have this, hypertension, same drug. If you have migraine, same drug. You know, and all of that. Now, they will say, if mosquitoes are disturbing in your house, this same drug, this time around, just grind it instead of swallowing it. Grind it, put it in one corner of the room, all the mosquitoes will die. And you're wondering, what kind of drug is this? Or in meme voice, no be juju with that or something. <laughs> but what I'm telling you in essence is that in Christ, it is actually one drug for all problems. That the cross is the answer to all human needs. I mean, it's so brilliant. God answered all the problems in this way. All the problems. And so when it comes to living a life of consecration, you see the same thing. You come to Philippians chapter 2, and he tells you that Jesus was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Now, this same truth has been told in different parts of the Bible. But here, it has a different emphasis. Now, he's not telling you to believe in that message to be saved. Now, he's saying, let this mentality heal. Uh. So, it means that in Christ is not just a message to believe. There is an example to emulate. So, as a growing Christian, all you want to do is escape hell. Where was the way out? It's just like a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Oh, I don't want to go to hell. What do I do? Believe in Jesus. But when you are growing in discipleship and consecration, you now see that that's an example. That the same way Christ, even though he had all this glory, he didn't consider equality with God something to grasp. But he stripped himself of his privileges. That is something that I must emulate in consecration. That, listen, there are some privileges that I have. And I can be selfish in this world and just think of maybe having a great job, driving a good car, having children and dying. But that in Christ, I begin to step out of myself to look at the world. How can my life be a blessing? Let me give you another prophetic metaphor. As a growing believer, you see Christ and his cross. And you're crying, oh, he died for me. I look at the cross. I believe in the cross. And, you know, his death for me. He, he, he was raised again the third day. Thank you for the cross. In discipleship, he says, carry your own cross. You don't just believe it. You follow suits. Take up your cross and follow me. It's not just a message to believe, 
but an example to emulate. So he says, let this mind, this mentality be in you, which was also in Christ. Not just believing in his provision, but seeing the implication of what he did. And the mentality that that must be quit to you. Let this mind, let this mind. And of all the four, I want to dwell on this mind, that mentality. It's a mentality that we must have. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 15. As I talk about that mind, you know, it's the same thing. Just imagine, for instance, that 2 Corinthians 5.15 was a flow of thought from John 3.16. It is that kind of mentality that will produce balanced believers in the body of Christ. Because you can read John 3.16, he died for me. Oh, thank you, Lord. And that's something to be grateful for and to cry about. God to love the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, Jesus. You died for me. Now, that's powerful. But 2 Corinthians 5.15, as though it was a continuation, said, and that he died for all. <laughs> Come on, are you getting it now? He's letting you know that the death of Jesus and your reception of it implicates you. It places on you a sense of responsibility and accountability. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. You know what I believe? I believe that it is not possible for you to truly understand that someone died for you and go on living the same way. It's not possible. Just imagine, God forbid, someone is on the sick bed fighting for his life. He needs an organ transplant. And he, he, he's about to give up. Maybe he even passes out. You know, he's fainted. But all of a sudden, he wakes up. He looks at the machine to his side. And all his signals are balanced. What is happening? And the doctor says, someone came and gave his heart for you. And you're like, what? Someone? Where is the person? Oh, he died. Who is the person? Well, he died. And you're like, what? When you wake up and you hear that the person had children, what do you do? You, you, you adopt instantly. You don't just go home and say, oh, he died for me. <laughs> you, you don't do that. You say, where are his children? What can I do? What can I do to make sure that everything he would have done had he been here continues to be done? Do you understand what I'm saying? And now, that's what the, the text is saying. It says he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth. I believe that the Christian journey begins with that henceforth moment. There must be a definite henceforth moment in your life. It must be memorable enough for you to recollect and say, I remember when I started living for Christ, I stopped living for myself. A henceforth moment should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him who died for them and rose again. That's where, it's, that's where your Christian life begins. And now, I want you to follow the line of thoughts because I'm going somewhere. You now come to verse 17, one of the most popular texts in the Christian church. And verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ... I think the first word there is therefore, right? And as someone creatively said, when you see therefore, you need to find out what it is therefore. It means it's a flow of thought. It means that whatever your conclusion is concerning the meaning of that text must flow from the pretext and the post-text so that you can understand the context. So now, it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And now you say he's talking about salvation and you're not entirely wrong. But let's follow it. All things are passed away. Yes, he's talking about my old sinful life. You're not exactly wrong. But let's follow the context. And all things are become new. Don't forget in verse 15, he says, he must henceforth not live for himself, right? 
And then in verse 16, he says, and all things are of God. Verse 18, I beg your pardon. Who has reconciled us unto himself and given to us a message, a ministry of reconciliation. So now, what if the old things that are passed away is not just your old sinful life, but your old priorities? Because now, now with the consciousness that someone died for you, you cannot just go home, you know, gone are the days. You just wake up and say, oh, what's raining now? People are traveling to Canada, I'm going. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe no one explained it to you. You are bought with a price. So Christ owns your life now. He gets to decide what you do with your life. He gets to decide. That's what he's telling you. He gets to decide. Your life is not for ideas that, ah, what is raining now? You can't just get up and just do things. You must pray. You must get approval. It's not your, you says you were bought. Do you, do you understand what it means? Like someone went to a market and bought a television. He says you were bought with a price. He owns you. He says, and all things are of God. What if you began to see your life that way? All things are of God. All, everything I have, my money, my life, my thought. You know, something happened last month. <laughs> I woke up in the morning, I prayed, God didn't say anything. Went about my day, studied my Bible, God didn't say anything. In the afternoon, I was walking casually. I remember exactly where I was because you don't forget stuff like that. I was walking casually and the Lord said, remember that family, the lady with four kids, you will buy them a car and send it now. And somewhere in my mind, I'm like, it's not your fault, it's not your money. You know? <laughs> like, no negotiation. So I just called my wife, thank God for an understanding wife, you know, marry well, you know. So I just I said, the Lord said we should buy this family a car. And she said, oh, praise God. So I just called someone. Um, oh, yeah, take that car. I wired him the money. Take that car, go and drop it in that house. And now the Lord told me this. The story is beautiful. Anyway, let me quickly touch on this because that might help someone here. The Lord said, Make sure you give them the car in the presence of the children, which is unlike me. Because I believe in generosity that retains the honor of the person you are giving to. You don't you understand what I'm saying? So I like, I like to do things coded, you know. But he said, make sure you give it in the presence of the children. So I couldn't even go because the message, the, the Lord spoke to me urgently. So I just said, carry the car and give them. So I did a video call where the Lord said to give you this car. This is what had happened. They had been praying for a car for 10 years. Every morning for 10 years. Every morning for 10 years, they prayed for a car. And then a few days before, when the father said, let's pray for a car, one of the children said, I don't, I don't want to pray. It feels like God is not hearing us. It feels like God is not hearing us. And this young girl who is just in secondary school was having questions about if God answers prayers. You see, you know what, eh? I wish more people hear God clearly so that God will share this kind of responsibility <laughs> because God was looking for someone, oh, that girl must, must not miss it. Oh, yeah, who? Back So I didn't understand why in the video call, the dad with tears in his eyes looked at the daughter and said, so do you believe now? And she said, yes. Hallelujah. But, but the reason I'm telling you this is this. It doesn't really matter. For, you see, God sees my heart. It's, it's not about material things. Do you understand? I'm telling you your very life. He can place a demand on you. He can place a demand. It says all things are of God. Follow this. Who has reconciled us unto himself. And giving us a message of reconciliation. Now, everybody, is your Bible open? Verse 19. Verse 19, 2 Corinthians 5. 
Oh my God. This is a consciousness that must never leave you again. He says, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Do you know what this means? It means you are responsible for God's agenda as Christ was. That God was in Christ reconciling. He's in you announcing. You are, so now, it makes sense that Christ, his entire life was for the assignment. He was so focused, no distractions. You know, in, when you read that, you say, oh, because he was the son of God. He came to that. Now, the Bible is telling you, you have the same assignment from a different side. God was in Christ reconciling. In Christ is the provision of salvation. In you is the announcement. Jesus did it, you tell it. I mean, it's the same assignment. You are as responsible. Oh my God. So it's just like the, the guy who woke up, discovered he had a heart transplant, and says, you know what? I will take up the responsibility of training this man's children for you. You say, okay, how can I continue the legacy of Christ in my day? Oh, he provided salvation. I will announce it. Never again say you don't know the purpose of God for your life. I just told you. Whether you plant a church or you serve in one, this is your assignment. Jesus did it. We tell it. It doesn't stop there. This is, is a mentality. Oh my God. Look at verse 20. It says, now then. We are ambassadors for Christ. Do you know what that means? It means wherever I show up, it is Christ's interest I'm representing. That is what it means to live for him. I believe that it is only people who live for Christ that truly believe that Jesus died for them. But that's a discussion for another day. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As Now, listen. Look at this next sentence. This is very deep. It says, as though God did beseech you by us. This is the mentality Jesus had. When he sat by the well and asked that Samaritan woman, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who is talking to you, meaning everyone I have the privilege to meet, it is the gift of God to the person. I am representing God's interest in the person's life. I am, it's, now he says, as though God don't beseech you by us. What if you had that mindset with your roommates? with the people who you work with, that God has been trying to reach this person, and now I'm here. May God not be looking for someone when you are there. Amen. Please say a loud amen. amen. He now says, as though God doth beseech you by us. Now, he said, we pray you in Christ's stead. Meaning your entire life is in Christ's stead. Everything Christ would have prioritized if he was here physically, that's your priority. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. This is the idea, I believe, behind, or let me say one of the ideas, behind the text, the anchor text that God gave Pastor Jesse. In John 17 verse 18, look at it again and you see how that's the flow of thought from what we're talking about. John 17 verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Simple, straightforward. Hallelujah. This is how to live your life. Representing the interest of Christ. For the fame of his name. In your day. To spend and be spent for the advancement of his cause. 
that his word will march on on your accounts because you are here. Come on. Because you are here. Because you are here. Because you are here. Hallelujah. I was talking to someone, you know, really powerful and I'm privy to the fact that the person was sponsoring some agendas that were that are actually antichrist. It was an interesting conversation via Twitter. And after a while, in a moment of honesty, honesty, she just said, you know, I have, some of us have a problem with organized religion. I said, let me assure you, <laughs> the church is not going anywhere, not in my lifetime. I said, I said, dead that thoughts. I said, not in my lifetime. You know, sometimes, some Christians are not discerning. So when they pick on us for little things on Twitter, they don't know the backstory. But don't worry. Leave that side. <laughs> Even if there are imperfections, do you know what we represent? Hallelujah. And so the theme, no one else is coming, is very prophetic. It's a consciousness to have. Let me tell you how prophetic this is. I told you there are two reasons why my coming here was very prophetic. Number one, because the date of this program is such a sweet spot. If it was any later, I wouldn't have been able to make it. As much as I love this ministry. And number two reason is this. The very first workers meeting we had in our own church... 2012, I said, this ministry will run with two assumptions. Number one, we are the only ones. Now, that does not mean that there aren't many other people, maybe even more gifted that God is using. But I'm saying, for you to have a sense of urgency, there is something about the weight of responsibility that will not dawn on you as long as somewhere in the deep recesses of your mind, you're, not just, you're just thinking, oh, there are other people. There are other people. Do you understand what I'm saying? I said, we, we are running with an assumption. You know what an assumption means, don't you? We are the only ones. And number two, we have all the resources we need. For every one of you, worker, minister in this ministry, listen, by the grace of God, I think that that's the fire that helped us, you know, to be able to be as assertive in the will of God as we have been today. Let me say something. If you don't have that consciousness, you will not be as committed as you ought to be. Because somewhere in your mind, there are other churches. Maybe you're here and you still have questions. Well, why another church? In many other churches. And maybe there are even places... I will go to and have what people will call a better service experience. Listen, I know what it means for you to have a vision and try to persuade people. Listen, it doesn't look like it now, but just stay. I know what I heard from God. I know what it's like. And it's easy to just run and go to somewhere more comfortable. Guess what? Somewhere where you won't have as much responsibility because there are so many people. But I believe that there is a sense of urgency that you will have when you say no one else is coming. It's just us. It must be done. Hallelujah. Where, I'm talking about the kind of audacity Jesus must have had to look at 11 people and say, go into all the world. What kind of audacity? Do you know the Great Commission? I will never get used to it. You're talking to 11 people. Some of them fishermen. And you're saying, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Listen, for many of us, in fact, all of us, the gospel is the most audacious thing you ever do. Because he said, go into all the world. Now, I'm thinking, how do I learn more languages? How do I, I'm, I'm, I'm now, listen, I did not want to travel for any other reason, but because there are souls there that must hear. The opportunities must come. The privileges must come. 
Because he said, going to all the world, I refuse to limit myself. The gospel has forced me to expand my scope. Come on, are you with me? For this to happen, you're going to have to carry this vision on your head. And don't allow anybody talk down on you for doing so. The tactic remains the same. Strike the sheep, the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Don't allow anybody castigate you for believing in your pastor, believing in your church. They, they know what they are doing. They know what they are doing. Let me say this. There is a gap. The fathers are going. If you are sensitive, you'll be saying, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen, there, there is a gap. We need powerful Christian leaders by every measure of influence, respectfully. Now, let me tell you something. You might say there are a lot of things that the fathers could have done right. But I want to say this, and forgive me if, if you don't understand this or if you don't agree. I believe that the enormity of the influence of some fathers, let me go so far as to say, maybe the reason this country is not Islamized. So please, please, in our generation, and I'm not just talking about one person, two people, we need multitudes of witnesses raising the banner of Jesus in a loud, dominant way. Whatever your convictions are when it comes to having a big church, but think about it this way. In a climb as sensitive as ours, you are driving past and you see a massive auditorium. You know what? Do you know the mental image that suggests we are here? We are not going anywhere. Anyway. Please, do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. So there must be a sense of urgency. You know, I was reading something very much in line with what we're saying. Please look at John chapter 20 very quickly. John chapter 21, I beg your pardon. And in the previous verses, background of the story, Jesus had just intimated to Peter in a prophetic way, letting him know the kind of death that he would die. And just imagine, just picture the scenario. Jesus just literally told Peter, you're going to die for me. And Jesus is seated as he said it with John lying casually on his stomach. <laughs> and so Peter is like, well, okay. I don't mind. But what about him? <laughs> what about you? And Jesus responded, if I say he will stay to the end of this, what is that to you? And then Jesus said, you follow me. And that's, the, that's still the consciousness of no one else is coming. Sometimes we are concerned about others and the work God has given them and how well they are doing it or if they will do it. But God said, you! Do you understand what I'm saying? You follow me. Because we are in a generation that has so many critics and very little doers. Everybody's saying, what about him? What about him? What about him? You know everything the fathers would have gotten right. The problem is that you are doing nothing yourself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we planted the church in London. We put out the banner. Someone said, hmm, Nigerian preachers, planting churches in London when there's no church in Castina. I said, plant a church in Castina. Now, make no mistake, there is some legitimacy to that. Because, I, I, and I don't even want to get into that. I believe that the churches in the southwest, southeast, south-south need to repent. Because there, there is a very 
fundamental lack of understanding we must have. The way the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be structured, the strong is supposed to strengthen the weak. You don't see that churches are being burnt and all of that, and then you are just building massive cathedrals. One of the things I want to propose, there must, I, my God. Anyway, it's not for here. I don't know. No, no, no. It's, it's, not, it's not for here. Don't worry. It's, it's conversation amongst pastors. Hallelujah. But anyways, at the end of the day, whatever anyone is not even doing right, at least they are doing something, it must be a witness to you. Okay, Lord, what have you asked me to do? Am I doing it? Please, I want to beg you, one church, run vigorously with the assignment that God has given you. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how tough, oh my God, there will be ch challenges. <laughs> there, will be, there will be challenges. You know, I'm of the opinion that pastors... <laughs> There has to be, I don't want to say therapy, but there has to be, you don't understand. Let me, let me, let me give you one example of why I'm saying pastors, you need, they need, they need some, some level of psych evaluation. Let me, let me tell you one. Do you know that if you pastor a sizable amount of people, happiness will always be a choice. Because there will always be one person going through a tough time. And so if you are not careful, you will be depressed every day. <laughs> there will always be someone. There, there will never be a day that there isn't someone you are praying for. <laughs> but you know, there's another extreme. There's another extreme where you get so used to the trials. Have you seen doctors who don't care anymore? They've seen sickness too much. They don't even care. They say, put your bomb where? <laughs> They've lost their human compassion. <laughs> if you're not careful, you're so used to pain. You become a soldier. I remember one night, I was supposed to walk out with my gym instructor and but there was an emergency. Some loved ones were in the police station, so I had to go there. <laughs> this pastor work. <laughs> I had to go there. So, I mean, he was trying to call me, so I just said, sorry, I can't come. We'll do tomorrow. So the next day, we were jogging. And he said, hey, by the way, what happened yesterday? I said, oh, I was in the police station. <laughs> and he said, what? And you, and, and you are here this morning jogging with me. I said, oh. It's our work. <laughs> Until he said it, I didn't even think it was anything special. Eh? We move. Praise the Lord. Come on, I said praise the Lord. And so there must be a consciousness, a fortitude. Please carry this vision like your life depends on it. Like, like it was Christ doing it. Don't forget, you are an ambassador for Christ. It says, God doth beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's dead. It's the consciousness. It's the consciousness. It's the consciousness to carry. And I want to end on this note. You see, Paul was such an interesting preacher. And one of the ways that proves to me that he was an interesting preacher is that he used a beautiful analogy to make a point. There is a kind of mentality that every ministry must have. And Paul gives the picture this way. He says, don't you know that many run a race, but one receives the price? And he says, so run that you may obtain. You know, I'll never forget um, <laughs> one Champions League final that we had you know, and then in the nick of time, I think it was Iniesta who came in and scored the winning goal. You know, and one man of God came into the office and he was like, 
did you watch the game? I was like, yeah, very nice. And then he said, you know, that's how the kingdom is. I said, oh my God, here we go again. He said, because in this end time, God is looking for people. I said, really? You know what? Excuse this, but it seems like at least superficially, Paul was like that. You see, the Olympics that we have, have now is a rebranded version of what, is called the, what was called the Ishmael Games of those times. And in those days, they actually had competitions. And so he's talking to people who can relate. And so he's painting a picture of devotional favor. Think about it. When you watch 100 meters race, think about the fact that 12 seconds after, the race is done. But they use four years to prepare for 12 seconds. I'm trying to describe the level of intensity and focus for every morning for four years. They wake up, everything they eat, how much workout they do is with 12 seconds in view. Can you imagine that? Do you know how brief 12 seconds is? How brief 12 seconds is? And four years, the level of concentration needed. Now he's saying, put that level of fo focus in ministry. Whoever your favorite athlete is, you better be messy. You know? <laughs> Amen. Don't know. Don't let's fight. Focus. <laughs> Whoever your favorite athlete is, you must look at their devotion, their focus, and it must bring perspective to how diligent you should be in ministry. Because listen, if they can go this far for a corruptible price, how much more you for an incorruptible price? So that should be the mindset. It's the same analogy Jude used when he says content. He, that Greek word, epagonizomai, is a competitive term. Someone who is an athlete competing to win. For the faith once delivered unto the saints. So listen, it means as a church, don't just come and do church. Please, are you getting what I'm saying? It says content. You must recognize that there is competition and no, not with the church next door. But every plant that my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted out. So listen, when I'm doing my service as an usher, I am fighting, to, I'm competing. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. When you get on Twitter and you see some mentality. Do you understand what I'm saying? It must, re, it must give you a fresh fire to push on with your teaching ministry as a church. This mentality, we must cast it down. The truth must grow in popularity. This is the kind of zeal that you must have. The Bible says, run that you may obtain. So it looks like there must be a sense of responsibility. We must have like um, um, a hypothetical thermometer. We are feeling the pulse of the city to know what must we tear down. This idea must die. And that one must die. And this biblical truth must, became, must become popular on our accounts. When that is the mindset, you know that having a full church is just the beginning. If you don't have this mentality, you'll be petty. You'll be easily satisfied. You have a special program and a lot of people come and you're, you're easily... No, we are fighting to obtain every plant. Oh my God. Just think about it. Jesus is speaking about the establishment. Excuse that expression. The pharisaical system. And it says, every plant, every doctrine. Just imagine you look into the city. You look into Abuja. You look into Nigeria. Every plant that our Heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted out. And he did it. Hallelujah. You do it with your teaching. You do it with your example. It is possible. God has anointed you one church. Come on, are you with me? Do you believe that? God, listen, God has anointed you. Everything he has asked you to do will be done. I said everything he has asked you to do will be done. And for every worker, pastor, 
there is going to be a fresh grace and unction. There is going to be a freshness about your ministry. Just by people coming in contact with your materials, with your teaching, with except of your worship, they will know that God is up to something fresh in the body of Christ. It will be evident to all. The hand of the Lord is upon you. It will be visible to the blind and audible to the deaf that these ones are sent by God. Hey, because these ones, they're going to go with a zeal and a determination because they understand that he died for all and they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves but unto him who died for them and rose again. Hey, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Oh my God. My old selfish ambitions are passed away. Now we have come together as one church to propagate the agenda of God in this city under one vision. Hey, behold, all things have become new. Hallelujah. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself and given us a message of reconciliation. Please say with me, I have a message. I have a message. I have a message. Say I'm anointed and I have a message. Hey! To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing the, their trespasses unto them and has given us a message of reconciliation we are ambassadors for Christ please every one church member and everyone here please say that I'm an ambassador for Christ say in this city I'm an ambassador for Christ say God is beseeching my world by me say God is beseeching my world by me hallelujah just begin to pray in the spirit right now. Pray in the spirit right now. Pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. Pray in. If you understood the things that we just shared, I believe that there should be a fire burning on your inside. I'm an ambassador. Jesus did it, and so I tell it. In Christ. It's not just a message to believe, it's an, an example to emulate. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 